Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, to help farmers and agribusinesses find new ways to make their operations more sustainable, the federal government has created the Agricultural Clean Technology Program. $15 million of the $165 million designated for the program will go specifically towards a purchase of more efficient grain dryers. But are there products out there that can meet the guidelines set out in the program? Triple Green Products of Manitoba has created BioDry Air that uses biomass material to fire up those dryers, eliminating the need for natural gas or propane. Lyle Weeb will explain the new dryer and how it fits into the federal government's strategy. A California ballot initiative due to take effect at the end of the year has implications for the production of livestock throughout the United States and Canada. Proposition 12 imposes new minimum space requirements for calves raised for veal, breeding sows and laying hens and restricts the use of certain production practices and bans the sale of product from any farm that fails to meet those standards. National Pork Producers Assistant Vice President and General Counsel Michael Formica explains what this means for anyone that supplies meat products to Californians and the concerns it raises for all of North America's producers. After the break, Lyle Weeb. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. The Agricultural Clean Technology Program is now accepting applications. And in making the announcement that that is now open, uh, the Special Minister for the Prairies, Jim Carr, uh, was uh, talking about the program. But we also got to learn a little bit about Lyle Weeb and Triple Green Products of Manitoba and his company's BioDry Air that uses biomass material, eliminating the need for natural gas. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the Agricultural Clean Technology Program and, of course, about Triple Grain products and your bio-dry air drying system. So I guess, first of all, Lyle, maybe just start by telling us a little bit about yourself. And uh, uh, you're obviously Manitoba-based. And uh, and tell us about your company. Uh, Sure. And thanks for this opportunity. Um, I was uh, raised on a grain farm uh, with the focus being on uh, growing corn and and so uh, uh, have uh, deep roots in the agriculture and and also know a little bit about grain drying because uh, that was part of my um, growing up years. And um, speaking of uh, triple green uh, products, our systems have been on the market uh, for some 25 years um, with uh, starting out um, with uh, boilers and uh, both hot water and steam uh, biomass uh, based uh, boiler systems. So we uh, sell across North America and uh, have uh, extensive uh, knowledge in the biomass industry and, and heating and so forth. We uh, introduced the bio-dry air into uh, the industrial commercial uh, sector first, um, with it being um, some 10 years now in operation, um, drying, you know, like in mining, uh, drying aggregates and so forth. So 
we have uh, quite a bit of knowledge as far as the biomass uh, drying system with uh, uh, that relates to our bio dry air unit. Uh, we we found a um, a need within within agriculture because uh, there was many customers talking to us. Do you have a solution to try and cut our our grain drying costs? And uh, thus we um, redeveloped our biomass uh, um, bio dry air system to accommodate uh, and fit into the agriculture sector and and uh, hook up to uh, our bio dry air system is made to hook up to any conventional grain dryer you know so no matter what size or type uh, our system is able to communicate with a conventional grain dryer um, that is found on most farms and uh, we basically uh, very simply put we supply the hot air needed to dry crops and we burn uh, various uh, types of biomass uh, regard or whether it's uh, egg waste or straws or many other types of uh, biomass materials whether it's uh, pelleted or or loose um, it can be wood chips it can be any types of pellets can you explain to us what this looks like? So when a farmer, you said it fits with existing dryers, uh, what does it look like and give us a description? Sure. Um, basically, our system uh, is, we have five different models, so it's all depending on, on uh, uh, the conventional grain dryer that we would hook up to. Uh, we would base our bio dryer system accordingly, but... It is largely a, um, a system that uh, takes up, uh, as far as um, floor space, about the same uh, space as the conventional grain dryer would. You know, so we typically put it um, uh, close to the conventional drain, grain dryer and, and we supply the hot air needed to dry the grain um, with a duct you know, a, a round duct system that, uh, whether it's a, a tower dryer or a cross-flow uh, grain dryer, uh, it depends on what type and so forth, but uh, we have connections that uh, hook up to uh, most all of the uh, grain dryers out there. You talked about the different types of um, biomass that you could use in one of these systems. Depending on what you're using, do any adjustments need to be made uh, with this particular system? Or is it something that you can retrieve from your own fields and, and handle it the same way, whether it's corn stalks or straw or wood chips, whatever the case is? Yes, um, and good question. So there is minor adjustment um, depending on the fuels that uh, you would use, um, but it's it's sort of like setting up any type of machinery um, to uh, to begin operation. So yes, there there's a little bit of adjustment needed depending on the fuels, uh, but uh, uh, the other than that, um, our system is completely automated. Um, you can operate it uh, through your cell phone. Um, our system is able to to communicate with the uh, conventional grain dryers panel or operating system. You know, so it's uh, you, ease of use for the operator. 
can you give us uh, an example or tell us about a farming operation that is using this new system now and can you provide any cost comparisons what they were using before uh, versus natural gas and what the savings were mm-hmm. um, so we have a opera, like a farm that uh, um, in 2020 uh, uh, um, received a, um, a bio dry air system and and uh, this farmer uh, grows about 1,800 acres of corn, and uh, in 2019, although it was a wet year, um, he spent just over uh, $150,000 on propane to grow uh, to dry his um, his corn. Uh, so in 2020, um, he came calling and uh, asked for help. <laughs> after hearing about our system and so we installed a bio dry air unit into his farm um, and he decided to go with wood uh, with pallets to burn as fuel uh, because they were easily um, available and and uh, made for easy use for him and and uh, so that's the fuel that he decided to go with but uh, for 2020, we dried the same amount of bushels as in 19, 2019, and it cost them $3,200. Um, yes, there was some variables as far as uh, the crop, uh, the corn was wetter in 2019, and that's very true. Uh, he was taking about 10 points out of that corn in 19, and he was taking about 5 to 6 points in 2020, but... Uh, still, when you look at the cost comparisons, uh, even if you would triple the cost of 3,200, you know, to to uh, uh, say that you're going to take out more moisture, it's a long ways from $150,000 of propane. The Agricultural Clean Technology Program applications are now being accepted, and that was all part of uh, the presentation done by the Special Prairie Representative, Minister Jim Carr, talking about the the opening of that. Um, What impact does this have on your business? Obviously, it's going to be quite beneficial to you because this is another way that's going to bring some attention to your company. This is obviously the grain drying side of it, from what I understand, is a newer component of of your line of work. Is that right? It is. Um, We introduced, like I said uh, previous, we introduced the bio dry hair system um, in the last two years to the agricultural community um, to to start drying grain. Uh, this program will have an effect, um, and we are starting to uh, t- uh, have uptake already uh, based on the announcement. Um, so yes, it it uh, uh, will certainly um, fill a need, uh, no question. The federal government has um, very obviously taken the stand of sustainability is is really important. How do you see this rolling out? It's obviously there's a certain amount of money designated for this particular program. How do you see this rolling out in the years to come? Do you think this is a, something that might continue um, if they're seeing a good uptake, or do you think it's going to be a one-shot deal? You know, and, and uh, I think it really depends on the uh, the political climate, uh, all depending on who's in power, but... Um, uh, there is um, interest, regardless of 
uh, your political stripes um, because um, whether however you stand with this carbon tax and and uh, that whole scenario um, we can save the farmer um, costs uh, regardless um, of the carbon tax the carbon tax does play an element to extra costs you know um, no question but even taking the carbon tax element out of it uh, we are able to uh, uh, substantially reduce uh, grain drying costs to uh, to a farmer Lyle uh, this has been great and thank you for your time and speaking with us today tell us where we can learn more about triple green products uh, I would welcome you to visit our website at uh, www.triplegreenproducts.com or uh, you can call us. Uh, our number is 204-746-6333 uh, and uh, we would welcome any questions or uh, uh, in any way we can help you, please feel free to uh, reach out. And you also have a link to the agricultural clean technology program on your website as well if people are yeah all right great all right well thank you very much and uh and good luck to you it sounds like you're going to have a busy year (laughs) thank you so much lyle weeb is with triple green products of morris manitoba after the break michael formica the national pork producers council will talk about a bill that has been introduced in the california legislature that could have far-reaching effects for livestock producers in the United States and Canada. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Michael Formica is the Assistant Vice President and General Counsel with National Pork Producers. Michael, uh, you spoke to reporters at the World Pork Expo in Des Moines to explain this new bill and what it means to farmers who produce specific types of meat products. So first of all, tell us about Proposition 12. Sure. Um, So Proposition 12 is the latest iteration of uh, efforts by animal rights activists uh, to try and impose arbitrary restrictions, um, micromanage how farmers raise food. Uh, how livestock producers you know, produce livestock. And it is different, it is substantially different than previous attempts at this in that in the past we would see we would see these groups go to states where if there was an agricultural industry there, there might not be a lot of pork production there. So they would go to Florida or Arizona and they would pass a ballot initiative that had no impact within the state, and it would it would you know mandate pretty prescriptive practices, but would only apply to those farmers in those states. And those farmers didn't exist. What California did, and there's no hog industry in California. Um, California passed one of these initiatives, but then it also took it one step further, and it prohibited not just production practices but it prohibited the sale of pork altogether if it didn't meet the really arbitrary and, uh, and, and unjustified standards. So California is 15, is largest state uh, by population in the U.S. It's large by area as well. I think it's the third largest area 
Um, but it's got 40 million people living there. It is the sixth largest economy in the world. It's right behind Germany. And if it was its own country, it would be behind Germany and ahead of the United Kingdom. Uh, so it's a massive, massive economy and is uh, about 15% of the U.S. market for pork. And so it's, it, it's sort of a big deal. Uh, there's a lot of people, 40 million people in California, with the exception of, you know, a, a handful of vegans. Most of those people want to eat pork. In fact, most of them are either of uh, Latino, Mexican, uh, Hispanic descent, or they're of Asian descent, where pork is the primary protein of choice for them uh, from a cultural perspective. So they, they eat a lot of pork, they enjoy a lot of pork. And in January, we're going to be hit with this ban on the ability to sell pork to California. They're asking for not just more space, so they want a minimum of 24 square feet per thousand, but they also are taking away uh, important uh, practices and protocols in, in how you typically breed animals. So post-weaning, sows are you know, large, very aggressive um, animals, especially when they're establishing their hierarchies. Post-breeding, you would normally move them into some individualized uh, pens uh, to allow the sows to recover. You could gain some weight from the pregnancy. Uh, you could then breed them, and then once they've been bred and are confirmed pregnant, you can move them into uh, a group pen setting. Uh, California will not allow that to happen. You need to move them post-weaning now into a group setting, and you will only be able to restrict them for breeding purposes for six hours within a 24-hour period, so six hours in one day, and you can do that for a total of 24 hours over the course of a month. So you essentially get one six-hour period a week. Uh, for four weeks in a month, and for a you know for a commercial farm, you don't you don't know when you don't know when the sow is going to be coming to heat when she's actually going to be ready to be bred. It it, it causes it causes massive massive disruption, uh, and uh, there's not a whole lot of people who are producing pork that way. So speaking specifically for the swine sector, how prepared are you to adopt to these changes? And, and I guess the implications uh, going forward. There's, there's certainly a lot of people talking about it, looking at what they can do. One of the challenges they have is parts of the law are, are vague. We need regulation. We need, we need to know what we're expected to do, right? California was supposed to, under Prop 12, issue those regulations in 2019, September 1, 2019. They have not issued those regulations. They uh, just about 10 days ago issued a proposed regulation, which will now be part of the comment period. That'll take us out through middle of July. And then it could take, you know, it could take uh, three or four months or longer to turn those comments either into a final regulation or if they have to make significant changes, they have to 
have to ask for more comments. And again, you know, once once we have final regulations, we'll know what we what's expected of us. But you then have to you then have to construct a new farm or retrofit an existing farm. And we're already at the end of the year, and on January one, California is going to expect us to be compliant with it. So they've not given us any time to do it. What needs to uh, happen now, and I guess the next is, uh, how important is the timing for that to happen? So, um, you know, the timing is very important. We are uh, we're continuing to look for some relief from the, from the state of California on, on timing, on, on additional flexibility. They are actively looking for additional exemptions that they can apply to this, so categories of pork that might not be covered to increase you know, the supplies there. Um, you know, we, we've been engaged with the, with the state government trying to work through that, and uh, we continue to press ahead. We've also filed litigation. We've been challenging this in the courts. Um, you know, so far, uh, you know, litigation takes a long time. You know, courts don't work quickly, but we're you know we're hoping that sometime this summer we'll get we'll get a response from the uh, court of appeals, and we're feeling uh, cautiously optimistic. Since that proposed rule came out, we're we're actually feeling um, you know more optimistic about our chances, but it's still uh, it's still an uphill uh, uphill climb. It's tough to it's tough to overturn any law, and uh, it's tough to overturn some of these ballot initiatives. Michael, any final thoughts? So a lot of your audience is, is Canadian, right? And a big part of the focus here has been on the U.S., but there are going to be impacts from this uh, on our friends above above the border. A lot of you know a lot of pork production in Canada, a lot of uh, you know a lot of sow farms up there, and the uh, piglets from those sow farms oftentimes end up south of the border and, and get finished here. And if the meat from those piglets ends up in California, then then California will will be regulating those farms in Canada, and there'll be record keeping and inspection requirements. Uh, and uh, you may you may find some of your producers up up there uh, also subject to this law. And and it's un- you know and so because you have now an international component. It's unclear exactly how that will play out. That was National Pork Producers Assistant Vice President and General Counsel Michael Formica. It's time for the weekly Agriculture News Roundup for the week of June 14, 2021. To help farmers and agribusinesses find new ways to make their operations more sustainable, the federal government is accepting applications to the Agricultural Clean Technology Program. $50 million of the $165.7 million will go to the purchase of more efficient grain dryers. Lyle Weeb with Triple Green Products of Manitoba said his company's BioDry Air uses biomass materials, eliminating the need for natural gas.
Results-driven agriculture research is providing funding for environmental stewardship programs. The purpose is to gather scientific data to evaluate the effectiveness of wetland management practices in mitigating the movement of crop protection products into wetlands and aquatic ecosystems. The project was developed in collaboration with the Pest Management Regulatory Agency, which uses data to support their evaluations and re-evaluation decisions. A Saskatchewan farm group is urging the Senate to pass legislation that affects intergenerational land transfer. APAS President Todd Lewis says Bill C-208 will amend the Income Tax Act and make it easier for producers to sell their farms to a family member instead of selling to a non-family member. When a producer sells their farm to a family member, the sale is considered a dividend between the original purchase price and the sale price. If the producer sells their farm to a non-family member, the sale would be seen as capital gain, which is taxed less than a dividend. A new study at the University of Saskatchewan will evaluate the use of beef cattle temperament as an on-farm indicator of disease susceptibility. Western College of Veterinary Medicine Assistant Professor Dr. Diego Moya will characterize cattle behavior like their aggressiveness or fear activity and its link to negative health and welfare outcomes. The results will help farmers when tailoring health programs to manage high-risk cattle reducing antimicrobial drug use, cattle illnesses, and death. Dairy Farmers of Canada has launched a new marketing campaign that highlights the next generation of Canadian dairy farmers. Dairy Farmers of Tomorrow features young farmers shining a light on sustainable and responsible modern farming practices. Working with third-party social media influencers, young Canadian dairy farmers showcase their use of innovative technologies while debunking myths about dairy farm practices. The campaign runs through July 22nd nationwide. Egg Growth International has signed a letter of intent to acquire a minority stake in an Arizona-based startup company. MyLand Company extracts live native microorganisms directly from the grower's soil and rapidly reproduces those organisms in mass quantities on-site using specialized technology systems. AGI will collaborate to install at least five new MyLand systems at grain operations within North America. A new project to develop a plant-based fish fillet will be the first of its kind in Canada. New School Foods and Liven Proteins will focus on developing whole muscle fish that mimics the same texture, taste and cooking experience of fish. The partners will test Liven's fermentation-based animal-free proteins in combination with Canadian source peas, canola and fava protein. A total of $1.9 million has been committed to the project, with Protein Industries Canada providing half of the funds and New School Foods and Liven Together will invest the remaining half. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarland for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.